We're going to sing a song for you guys called Consider the Ravens. Pastor Scott is starting a series on Elijah, and I felt like I was legally required to sing this song for everybody. We've done it before. Agape Kids actually brought it to me a few years ago, and I just fell in love with it. And uh, so we put the words up. If you know it, feel free to sing along. But it's kind of a song that reimagines what Elijah might say if he were dealing with his life today. All right? So this is called Consider the Ravens. It goes like this. One, two, one, two. I got bills to pay, tax man on my tail. I just keep praying that. Checks in the mail. There are times it seems with everything's lost, and I'm moaning, I'm tossed, and I see between the river and the ravens I'm fed, between oblivion and graces I'm Father, give me faith, a providence and grace, between the river and the ravens I'm fed, sweet deliverer, you lift up my head, and lead me in your way, well I've grown sick and tired of trying to stand still. Between the river and the ravens I'm fed Between oblivion and places I'm led Father give me faith Providence and grace Between the river and the ravens I'm fed A sweet deliverer you lift up my head Lead me in your Glory above, oh, your banner of love flies 
arms over me Between the river and the ravens I'm fed Between oblivion and places I'm So Father give me faith Providence and grace Between the river and the ravens I'm fed Sweet deliverer you lift up my Between the river and the ravens I'm fed Sweet deliverer, you lift up my head And lead me in your way Thank you guys. If your foot was not tapping in that song, you should check your pulse. It's kind of fun. I was glancing down the row and seeing the unison of like feet all going together. Thank you, guys. What a blessing. What, what a gift to have Alan here. Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. It's a good morning, right? God is good. God is faithful. I am... Um, was, it was pointed out to me this past week that every once in a while they give something for me to mention as a reminder, and last week I didn't do it, so I'm here right now making sure that I do it. On September the 8th, we are shifting to take this party times two. So we're going we're gonna to have uh, a second service that we're introducing on September the 8th. Just wanted to make sure that was on your radar, and so you're aware of that. And uh, so those of you that have been kind of sitting, this is summertime and we're pretty packed. And so uh, we're just anticipating in the fall, God will do some neat things there. And so uh, we're going to be at 9 and 1045. So there's my announcement point. Does that make sense? Did I clearly explain that? See, there you go, John. Thank you. Um, Well, this morning we're, as you uh, saw from this song, we're starting to dive into a new series. We're looking at the book of Elijah, and we're going to be in uh, 1 Kings 17 this morning, so you can already start turning your Bibles there. Just, but as you're doing that, just as I'm thinking about this first section of the story of Elijah, the, the term that comes to, or the phrase that comes to mind is waiting room, waiting room. And what comes to mind when you think of those words, waiting room, maybe you've Spent some time in a, in a waiting room yourself. I, I remember one of the more fun ones was after the birth of our first child. You're waiting. I mean, I was in there for the mix, but, uh, but the waiting for to actually see the baby and hold the baby and hang out with the baby, just, just so much excitement uh, was, was happening in the waiting room. But then you can also probably bring to mind some difficult times in a waiting room as well. I, I know I, I spent some time on a uh, different serving projects. I was in, in Kenya and uh, ended up getting a, a pretty good uh, fever while I was there. And what do you think of when you think of fever in Kenya? Larry, yeah. So I was in a waiting room at a local clinic and, and, and just thinking like, wow, did I, did I get this? Am I get, did I contract this in my week here? And, and just the, the fear is kind of sneaking in. And a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, our times in the, in the waiting room, I didn't get it, thank the Lord. Uh, but a lot of our times spent in a waiting room maybe haven't been real great. Haven't been real great. We've had some difficult times of waiting in our lives. And maybe not in a specific room, but seasons of our life of waiting. 
Because isn't life, if you're honest with yourself, isn't life full of a lot of waiting? A lot of waiting. You're either waiting for that perfect job. You're either waiting for, man, to start my family. I'm waiting to finally meet my wife. I'm waiting. No, I've, that's happened. Uh, but, but if you're honest, there's a ton of waiting in our existence, right? A lot of it. And the longer I follow Christ, the more I realize that in waiting, that's the chisel so many times that God uses to shape us and mold us and to craft us more and more into his likeness. And so this morning, as we're diving into the story of Elijah, I want us to be thinking about bringing to mind, what is it that we're waiting for? Because we're going to start to see that in those seasons of waiting, as Elijah saw, that God provides. God cares for his children. God isn't absent in the waiting. We just don't like to wait, right? See, you didn't even like to wait for me to get to that next thought. Like the, the, whole, the whole waiting thing, I don't even like to wait at a stoplight. You know what I mean? Like, like waiting is not something that's in our nature. It's not something we like, but it's something that's a part of the human existence. And so we're going to be diving into this story and praying that God teaches us a little bit about his provision in our waiting. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear God, we just come to you this morning just grateful You're so faithful and good to us, even despite our unfaithfulness. You're patient with us. You're loving. Your response to, as we see in the text here, your response to to our forgetfulness of you is usually just a tender response and an offering of coming back. We thank you for that. We pray that you'd speak to us through your word this morning, God, that uh, that I would be out of the way completely, that you'd be using uh, your words here this morning to speak to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Like I mentioned, we're in uh, 1 Kings 17. If you have a Bible with you, feel free to turn to that. If you don't have a Bible, we have them conveniently placed in a pew in front of you or chair in front of you. And, uh, and so would love for us to all have an eye on uh, this text, but just going, giving a little background to the story of Elijah before we dive in. Uh, it happens in the nation of Israel, as you might know, and what's going on in Israel. This is, this is about 200 years after the reign of Saul, and there was civil war that divided the northern kingdom, which was become, has become Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And then for the next 200 years after this civil war, there's been basically 19 different monarchs or leaders And each one of them is progressively getting more and more evil and wicked and wandering from God being the leader of this nation. And so here in our text, we're being introduced to the king of the time, his name, or monarch, if you will, of the time. His name is Ahab. And he's the first, he's actually married to a woman named Jezebel, which you may be familiar with that name. And, and as we see, we'll see in the story as it progresses, she was really the one that wore the pants in the relationship. And, uh, and she was the one, the first to introduce the nation of Israel, introducing them to the worship of Baal. Now, Baal was the god of, who can tell me the answer to this? God of, fer- there you go, fertility. 
and uh, of rain. So it's kind of ironic that these are the, the thing that they celebrated as their God, as we're going to see as the story goes further in, that the God of rain, uh, interesting. And so what it says in 1 Kings, you guys can start by looking just back in 16. 1632, it talks about this very dark season in, is- in Israel's history. Describing Ahab, it says, He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah, which was the chief goddess and supposed mother of Baal, so made a statue. Ahab, it says this, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. How would you like to have that said about yourself? You've done more to provoke God than any other leader prior to you of the nation of it. Like, that, that's not the badge I would want to wear, right? Provoke. Like, that, a lot comes to mind when you think of provoke. I don't know if you've ever had somebody in your life that kind of provokes you or antagonizes you. Uh, maybe you're sitting next to the, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but the person that tends to provoke you... I, when I was in, in college, I had a roommate. I don't know if you had one of the, you've had one of these people that was just kind of the, like, just always doing things to annoy you, to just aggravate you. Th- this particular uh, uh, roommate... I was known as kind of, I, I like things, I'm a, there's a little type A part of me, and I like things kind of neat and nice, and, uh, and I had these little bins that I had all my clothes kind of folded in and sweaters all aligned. Those are things that you wear in the cold. I'll tell you about that later. Um, but these sweaters, and, and literally, uh, this roommate would come in in the morning just to aggravate me, and he'd be, hey, Scott, how's it going? He'd start pulling them off, dropping them, pulling them out, dropping them, pulling them out. I'm like, are you kidding me? And he was way bigger than me, so I couldn't do a lot about it. And, uh, and, and so, but when you think of the word the, the coming to mind, provoke, it's crazy to think that our actions, our idol worship, when we elevate, we might not have an uh, Asherah or we might not have a Baal, but we have our idols. Our idol worship actually provokes Almighty God. Isn't that a sobering thought? Just thinking when we choose to worship things, we're designed to be worshipers. When we choose to worship other things, it's like, aha, aha, God, I'm worshiping something else. I'm worshiping this. And so we see in the, the, the nation that, that, God, that God notices this stuff. He notices when we choose to elevate things above himself, when we choose to pick other things as our object of worship. So we see Ahab being really ticking off God, and it's interesting to see how God responds in his anger, which is so different. Why God is so set apart and so different from us is because he doesn't act in anger like we do, right? When he's angry, what does he do? The same thing that he did for in the story of Jonah. He gives another opportunity for repentance, for forgiveness. He sends, as he has done for the last 200 years, he sends a prophet with a message and an opportunity to, to come back to God. And that's what he's doing in this, this story. With the, we're going to see in the story of Elijah is there another opportunity. But first he does something to get their attention. He does what? We're going to see in the text. Turns off the water, you know? Like turns off. No more rain. You're, you're not going to see that. We're going to see in the text. And it, I thought it was interesting in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, you don't have to turn there. Just listen to this. Listen, God gave them this warning when they were first coming into this land that he had promised to them. Listen to this warning. I thought this was fascinating. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen through 17. Take care, lest, talking to the Israelites, 
Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. Isn't that crazy? God anticipated this. He knew they were going to go to other gods. They were going to start worshiping other things. And he warned them that this was going to happen. And now it does. It does. Let's dive into the text. Verse 1 of chapter 17, the story of Elijah. Says this. Now Elijah the Tishbite, isn't that fun to say, of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Let's pause there for a second. We start by seeing that we have a God of a God that provides protection. We see in the text there that this is a pretty risky thing. We don't know a whole lot about Elijah other than that he's from uh, that he's from Tishbe, which I've discovered is a pretty rugged area with a pretty small population and fun to say. But you don't know what's brought him before the king. But probably if you're the most wicked king in the entire history of Israel, that's probably a pretty scary thing to go before that king and say, hey, it's going to stop raining until I say it does. Like, that's probably a pretty risky thing, wouldn't you think? Like, that king could squish him like a bug, but he's choosing to stand before the king and say this. And as I was reading this text, I was like, man, that would be a scary thing. But I love the perspective that Elijah... We don't know much about him, but I love the perspective that he has. Look in verse 1 there. He says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. He's not even acknowledging that he's standing before this earthly king. He's acknowledging that he's standing before the heavenly king, the king of kings. That's how you're able to do things boldly for Christ. When you get in perspective of who you're actually standing before, he recognized, I'm not standing, like, I'm not, I'm not real concerned to you about you, Ahab. I'm concerned about what happens if I don't do what I've been asked to do, which is telling you it's not going to rain. And, and so, and so he does exactly that. And God provides. It's interesting how many times uh, us, just as believers presently, we get this idea of like, I, I can't do that because who knows what would happen to me. I was talking to this woman at one point back in Chicago. She was talking about one of her students that she was having, she was a teacher having a really hard time with. And she was like, man, I'm just not sure what counsel to give. I've tried all different angles. And I'm like, have you ever talked to that student about Christ and how he could radically change uh, his, his life? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. I, I, I can't. This is a Christian woman. She's like, I can't talk about that. That's forbidden in the school system. I can't talk about Christ. I'm like, yeah, but we see here God provides. When we step out, when we step out in faith, when we take risks for him, can you imagine this woman if she would have taken a a bold stand for Christ in the school system? Do you think the God of the universe, if she would have lost her job, would have left her hanging? You know what I'm saying? Like, do you think the God, like if you lost your job because you spoke up for almighty God, do you think he's going to be like, well, sorry, sucker. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) like, like, no, we have a God as we see here that provides protection. He cares for us. The God of the universe. Verse two, we see the story continue. He also see that God provides a way out. 
So not only protection, but the way out. Verse 2 says this, And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Pause there for a second. I thought, thought that was interesting. Some commands you get from God or directives, you're like, I don't know if I want to do this. You know what I mean? Like you've been, had things that he's called you to do in your life that you're like, I don't know. I don't know. But this one, he's like, all right, I am all for this. Get out of here and hide. And so, uh, and so that's exactly what we see happen there. God provides a way out. I don't know exactly how he got out of the throne room before this king to be able to be on the, this hidden spot in Cherith, but somehow God allows protection from this crazy king and allows him to get out. So we see a God that provides protection, God that provides a way out. Now in verse 4 through 6, we're going to see a God who, who provides for his needs. Verse 4 says this, as he tells him when he's going by this brook in Cherith, you shall drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. That's where he wrote this song that we heard earlier. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. I'll tell you what, we have a tendency sometimes to just cruise past some of these, these stories that we've heard as a kid and just kind of blow past the details of that and be like, yeah, that was cool. Remember when, when Elijah was provided by the, the ravens? How crazy is that? You're going by this brook and you have bird, are, are ravens known for like being clean animals or animals that share? Or are they known as an unclean animal that just like dives into whatever it finds? But here we see in the text God saying, I'll just use those crazy birds to, to bring him some food. Bring him some food. Like how awesome would that be even the first time? Can you imagine you see this big old crow looking thing coming down with a hamburger? You know, like how, like McDonald's didn't invent it like the, the God did. This is a good case against vegetarians. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but, but here we see God's crazy, unbelievable pro provision. He provides what? A cool brink? A cool uh, brook to drink from. Brink, that's a good one. Uh, a cool brook to drink from. He provides food. And I think it's interesting that he, that he doesn't just provide it one time. It's not like he comes with like a big cart like, and, and like months of supply. What does it say that the, that the ravens do? Every morning, every night. Every morning, every night. Provision not too much, but enough for the day. Not too much, but enough for the day. And it was, was, was fascinating that it says there in the text, it says, he went and lived by the brook. He went and lived by the brook. After, after a while, it was, I wonder if for him, it started to get so, it wasn't that big of a deal anymore. When you start to go and live in God's provision, it's easy for us to get calloused, Right? To start to not observe or notice it anymore. My, my wife and I, coming from uh, working at a university in Chicago, my wife was the international advisor at this Judson University. And uh, so she worked with all the different international students coming in and, uh, and, and seeing kind of their response to the American culture. Well, they had a, a, an African student that, that had come 
and he showed up, and he was introduced. I mean, first time ever being in America, and it was really interesting to see some of his responses and observations. They had a cafeteria there, as most universities would, that had uh, you could go up and you could get your you get your tray of food, and if you after you eat that, you're hungry, you go up get another refill on something. You got the ice cream bar, you got the salad bar, you got the dessert trays, you got this. Like, like, from my understanding, the explanation, he was in there and he just stood and was just staring, mouth open, just like, you mean I can just keep eating as much as I want here? It's kind of like me and Shoney's. Like, uh, like, are you kidding me? Like, like you're, you're going to allow me to just keep having this abundance of food? And what blew his mind that he couldn't really, I remember hearing the story, what he couldn't wrap his mind about around was the fact that there was people that were complaining about the food at Judson University. It's like, what? That didn't even make sense to him. You have this ability to, to eat like as much as you ever would want, like unlimited refills. Are you kidding? And you're complaining about it? Like, how crazy is that? But isn't that true for us if we're not careful? We can get so accustomed to God's abundant provisions that we grow numb to it. It's no big deal anymore. You got to wonder if that's the case with Elijah. We don't know in this story, but we do see that God's faithfully providing for his needs in a radical and extreme way. Take a look as the story continues in verse 7. Another way that we see God in his provision. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Hmm. After a while, the brook dried up. We notice here that God not only provides for us, he also provides, as we mentioned earlier, the chisel effect, provides stretching exercises. He provides things that happen in our life, and maybe some of us can attest to this even in this very moment, that he allows things to happen that stretch us, that push us in our dependence on him. Notice that the obedient are not exempt from trials, right? Elijah had done everything he was told. He, he had followed God step, uh, step by step and to the T. But notice that that doesn't mean that he's exempt from trials. He still faces this brook drying up. And I'm guessing in the progression of drying up, it wasn't just all of a sudden it just stopped. It's probably day after day you're like, whoa, that trickles a little more slowly here today than it did yesterday. You know what I mean? Like probably this progression, and he's not hearing what's next. He's not hearing what's next, or it's not pointed to just watching that brook dry up. And maybe that's exactly where we're at in our life here this morning. We're watching our brook dry up. We've been seeing like, God, I, I, I thought you had a plan, I thought, but, but what's next? It seems like this, this well is, is drying out. It seems like this brook is no longer flowing. It was fun to see Casey Chandler, and I didn't tell him I was going to point this out today, but, uh, but, but seeing Casey went through a, a job transition this last spring, so cool. I actually got to see him come in, and he stopped by the office on the day that he was let go from his current job. And just talking with him and seeing that, I was like, man, so are you, are you anxious about this? Are you kind of worried? How are you doing with this whole job thing? You know, I, it's, a, it's a pretty big deal. It's not cheap to live here, and uh, I've discovered. And, uh, and, 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 so, and so I was just talking to him, and he's like, you know what? It's like, God's going to take care of it. God's going to provide. I, I know he's got a plan. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to abandon me. So fun to see that when your well dries up, 
It's not the time to shake your fist at God and be like, what are you doing? It's the time to cling the closest, right? Because that's when God provides, is when we're clinging to him, when we're trusting in him. And maybe some of us needed to hear that exactly, this message here this morning, that we're being stretched in our dependence on him. And that's not a bad thing. It's part of God's provision in our life as we're being shaped into his likeness. Let's continue in the text and see how this plays out. Because we're going to see that God continues to provide. Verse 8 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, and I love his faith and trust, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. How awesome is that? How awesome just to see God's provision, the way that he cares and provides for the helpless. But I want to first start by, in that section, pointing out what was being asked of Elijah. Because remember, we're talking about these being stretching exercises. A little bit of background. Zarephath was about 100 miles away from where he was presently at. About 100 miles if your brook just dried up and the, the ravens stopped bringing food, like how excited would you be about going like, oh, why don't you go a hundred miles? It was outside of Israel. Why don't you go? It, it, it's like being told, I was looking on the map, or actually Nancy was helping me, Oceanside, California. Why don't you go to Oceanside, California? I know you don't have anything to drink. And you know, the, I know the only route to get there is through the, the northern mountains of Israel. Why don't you make that trek? And don't worry because at the end of the line, there's a widow that's going to take care of you. What in the world? Talk about a stretching exercise, right? Like saying, like telling, imagine getting this message, but sure enough, Elijah heads a hundred miles away. And the other thing I was reading in a commentary I thought it was interesting is this town was known as Jezebel's hometown. So it was right in the, the heart of Baal worship. So it's like saying, why don't you just like come out of the protection and right into the fire, you know, like you're going to go right into the mix. So he does exactly what he, what he said, what he's told to do. But the, the thing that's cool here, God's plans aren't usually or typically rational necessarily or logical. Anybody else notice that? They don't always make sense. They don't often like settle well, but man, I'll tell you what, look what happens when he obeys. 
He shows up there. The widow's, the, the widow's at the gate, just happens to be right there waiting as soon as he gets there. Gives her a command. And I, can you imagine from the widow's perspective getting this, this request? Oh, can I have some water? Do you not know it has not rained in a really long time? Water's not at my disposal. But then even further than that, she's saying, and you, you kind of see, you kind of feel for her, right? She's like, I was just about to go make this very last meal and then die. Like, not a lot of hope in her voice there. Like, and, not, not a, and the thing I was thinking about with this section, I was just thinking, how awesome it is that our God, even in the middle of his anger, in the middle of where he's fired up about this idol worship, and probably in the center of the town where it all started, he still cares for people that are struggling. He still cares for the helpless. He provides provision for this, this, this widow and, 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 and child in this way that I'm going to send, I'm going to send you there a hundred miles away to meet this need. He didn't know that, that he was showing up to have her needs met. He thought he was showing up to have his needs met, I imagine. But God is providing for even the person that's going through the most difficult time during that season. Not an easy time for a widow. I was thinking about that this week, and I was uh, preparing this, this, this message, and was there, and it was funny, because I was literally, like, working on the text. I get a phone call uh, from some, ra- this is a true story, I get a, a phone call from a, a, a woman, a random woman that's not connected to our church, and she was, she calls me up, and she, she says, you know what, I've been, I've been calling through different, different churches, and I just came up with my, my last day in the, this hotel. I'm about to be out on the streets tonight. I've got no place, I've got no place to go. And she's like, she's like I, know, I know you don't know me, and, and I don't know you, and I, I'm just, just appealing for, uh, just since you're a church, that maybe you could, could help me out trying to figure this out with the hotel. And, and, uh, and, and so I said, no, good luck with that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, so, so my heart, I was just thinking, I was just like, I was thinking, I was like, I don't want to be another church on the list of churches that she's calling through that's just like nope can't really help out sorry can I pray for you before we go on the phone you know what I mean like I, I didn't want to be that person I didn't want to be I didn't I, I wanted to to try as best as we can to to meet a need and thank thankfully through you guys' ongoing giving we have opportunities to help people in the community so called a couple people made made arrangements and got to help her out for a couple nights in the hotel and got to got to share with her and just like man we're just trying to live out Jesus Christ and she's like She's like, and I was like, man, I would love for you to, to come and spend some time with our church as a community. Would love for you to make it out sometime to a, to a service here and, and however we can be a blessing to her. Got to have a good conversation with her. It was so cool. She's like, man, I will be there soon. I don't, I, like, it, it was neat just to have that conversation. Just see a tangible way to meet a need. And I was thinking, man, how are we doing with our heart for people that are maybe less fortunate? How, are, are we soft to that? Or are we just so busy going about our day preparing our sermon that we can't slow down to actually meet the needs around us? To meet the needs around us. God's heart, even while he's dealing with this deprived, terribly led nation, still has a heart for the poor. And I love seeing the, the radical way in which he provides. I can't imagine whether it was something that like once she poured it out and filled the flour or made the bread, if it refilled right away or if it gradually built up. I, who knows? It's just, it'll be fun to ask some of those questions someday of God. But just cool to see God's unique provision for the prophet and for this woman. 
God continues to provide. And the cycle that we start to see in, our, in this story and in our lives, I think, is this. Is that there's this degree of provision, and then the tough times come, and it's kind of testing to see if the provision, if the, the memory of that stuck, it's stood the test. You know what I'm saying? Where, where you, like, he's like, hey, I'll provide this need, and then the next trial comes, and you're like, are you going to remember back to God's provision? I heard a, a story in our uh, community, in our, in our body, of a, a really fun way that God uh, provided and met for a, just a simple need from a, our perspective. And I'm actually asking Susie, I'm putting Susie on the spot right now. Uh, well, I asked her the other day. But uh, ask her to come, because I couldn't tell the story like Susie can. She's going to tell you a story about the way that God provided for a refrigerator box. Pretty interesting. Okay. Um. Many of you have heard this story, but it's an exciting story about how God used a really, like, seemingly insignificant thing to just show me how much he loves me and um, how great his power is in my life. So, okay, so a couple months ago, we were preparing for VBS, and we were talking about how we were going to decorate the stage up here in a Western theme. And so I thought it would be really cool if I got these big refrigerator boxes and painted them like Western buildings. And then our little Western town would, you know, that would be the little backdrop there. So I had started going around to Home Depot, Lowe's, appliance places, asking if they had refrigerator boxes. Nobody had refrigerator boxes. And so I was thinking, okay, well, this is harder than I thought. And um, some of the places even said, no, we don't give them away. We just crush them. And so I thought, okay. Um, One Tuesday morning, a few weeks before VBS, I was having my quiet time. I was praying. And I was thinking, gosh, I'm going to be going to church later tonight. I'm going to be taking my son to junior high youth group. And it would be really great if I had a refrigerator box with me that I could paint while he's at youth group. And so this thought kept coming into my head while I'm trying to, like, talk to God and stuff. And so finally I just said, okay, God, I don't know why I'm having this anxiety about a cardboard box, but I am. So I'm just giving that to you. If you want me to have a refrigerator box tonight, then show me where to get one. And then I was able to relax and get on with my prayer time. So... Of course, as soon as I was done with my prayer time, I went to the phone because, you know, I was going to be able to call places now and they were going to have one because, you know, God was on the case. So I called a few places and nobody had one. So I thought, okay, not happening. He doesn't want me to have one. So I got on, went on with my day. I get emotional. <laughs> okay, this is the exciting part. So later in the day, that afternoon, I went to go someplace. I opened the front door to my house, and our house faces a cul-de-sac, so I can see straight up this street. So I opened the front door, and right there in the middle of the street is a refrigerator box. And I was like, ah, a refrigerator box! And so I got in my van. I brought my daughter Demi with me because I thought, you know, we were going to have to get this thing in the car somehow. So I said, Demi, there's a refrigerator box. And so we jumped in the van. We drove up there. I said to the delivery guy, 
would I be able to have that box? And he said, oh, sure. And so he folded it all up, put it in the back of my van, and then he said, do you want another one? And I said, yes. And so he went in the back of his truck and got another one out, folded that all up, put it in the back of the van, closed the back of the van, and there I was, ready to go to church that night and paint them. And I was just in tears because I was so amazed. I just had this incredible feeling that God was just saying, yeah, you know, I can do it, and I love you, and, you know, and I just thought, there it was. He didn't give me one refrigerator box. He gave me two, and he pretty much delivered them right to my front door and had them put in my van, and I was ready to go, and I just thought, that is just amazing. So that is just my little story about my great God. <laughs> I knew I couldn't tell that story like that. So th- thank you, Susie, for, for sharing that. And what a, what a gift that is. And I really think the reason I brought her up to share that is because so many times it's those little refrigerator box provisions that then when the big stuff comes, you're like, all right, I, th- I think I can do that. If, if, if God's going to provide during that season of little things that maybe seem trivial, if he cares about those things in my life, how much more is he concerned about the big stuff, right? How much more is he concerned about the big stuff? So we're going into this last section, and this is the, the testing piece that I was describing that happens in our life. This last section is, is the glimpse to actually see if what he's been learning during this season actually took. Let's take a look in verse 17. It says this, After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Assume that's dead. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your the the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Love that, love that story. One day, and isn't this true in us? One day we're celebrating God's provision. The next day we're helplessly watching. In this case, helplessly watching the decline of this child's health. One day things are going great, and then what happens? Bam! Life happens, right? And that's exactly what Elijah faces. And we're going to see here that during those seasons of provision, you see that his response is appropriate. He stands first in verse 18. 
He stands firm when accusations come. Like when this woman, can you imagine? She's coming there and yelling at him. He's like, how could you do this to my son? He's like, what are you talking about, man? I, we've been providing for you. We're, we're, what happened there? But no, he doesn't, he, doesn't make, he doesn't lash out in frustration with like, hey, you ungrateful woman. He just, he, just, he just turns exactly. And then the second thing we see in verse 20, he turns to God. He cries out to God at his point of need. He doesn't try to fix it himself. He doesn't try to solve it. I was encouraged at the freedom in which he's able to speak to God and just saying like, God, how could you do this? And even similarly, God doesn't correct him in that. He just lets him freely come to him. And even with accusations, coming before God and he says, you know what? I'm going to meet this need. So he cries out to God at his point of need, even when he's clearly frustrated in his prayer. Then we also see that his heart is soft to the needs of others. In the whole process, he's, he's, he's becoming a little bit more and more like Christ. Where obviously God's heart burned for this, this widow. Now his heart's soft for him. What does he do? He takes him up to his room. If, if he was actually dead, which I assume when it says that there's no breath left in him, uh, I'd associate that with death typically. And, uh, and so what does he do? Lays him, on, lays him down on his bed, his own bed. He would be considered unclean, right, in that culture. Lays himself three times on top of him, praying for him, calling out. He, he's, he's not just sending up a wish prayer, like he's calling out to God. He's laying on top of this, this child. I can't imagine the child waking up and being like, what's this prophet on top of me? Uh, uh, but, but he provides. So the, then the, the cool thing is, is then the outcome. I love seeing the transformation, not just in Elijah through this act of provision. Look in verse 24. And the woman said to Elijah... Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Earlier in verse 12, she referred to the Lord your God. She hadn't owned it. Now we start to see a transformation in her heart. She's like, now I know that you're a man of God, not your God. That the word of the Lord, not your Lord. All of a sudden we see a transformation potentially in her heart. She's starting to see, man, this, this God is real. This is, this is the real deal. This isn't just one of the gods in the list a mile long of gods. This is the God. So we see this transformation that impacted both Elijah and this widow in her household. It's awesome to see. But the fun thing in all of this is just how when we're in this period of waiting, and maybe we had you bring to mind at the beginning something that you're waiting for, knowing that we have a God that provides a God that's concerned with whatever you're concerned about from refrigerator boxes to big stuff. We have a God that loves us, that cares about us, and provides for us. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this text and this picture that you've painted of your character, of the way that you love and provide for your children, the way that you're actively involved in our lives, the way that you respond to prayer, the way that, that your grace trumps your anger. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the way that you provide for us in little ways. God, open our eyes to be more observant of your provision in our life. That we'd be more grateful for the way you do care for us. That we wouldn't be so quick to go straight to the 10 things we wish we had or we wish were happening in our lives. That we'd celebrate the way that you care for us. God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the, all the, the lessons that we can glean from it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. 
But we have a good God that loves and cares about us and provides for our needs. We would love for you, if there's something that we could be lifting up for you in prayer this week, we have the elders available here at the conclusion of the service. But otherwise, we would love to have you join us. We're having a picnic right after the service here outside. Enjoy some fellowship together. Pray you have a fantastic week. God bless you.